Well, good morning. Shawnee Baptist, it is my privilege to be with you this morning. Um, I truly mean that, a real privilege for me. Uh, you guys can decide if it's a privilege for you after the next 35 minutes. Uh, but as I thought about last night, uh, praying for our time together, I started to get a little bit overwhelmed with the reality uh, that this is a bit of a holy moment for me. My wife sent me a text last night, said, you're up late. And I said, yeah, I have to script everything out because my dad's introducing me, and I don't know what he's going to say. But it's one of those moments where you just kind of stand up here and uh, look around and say, man, God, you've been so, so incredibly kind and gracious to me. So if we have a few awkward pauses along the way, and you see me smiling some some big silly smirk, and you're wondering what in the world is going on with me in my head, uh, just give me a second. I'm celebrating and thanking God for doing things that can only be explained by His grace and His love. And here's here's what makes this a holy moment. Uh, Twenty years ago, uh, maybe a little bit longer than that. The, the dates get uh, fuzzy. Uh, I sat my first su- Sunday as a fifth grader at Shawnee Baptist Church in these pews that you guys are sitting in. Um, I'm glad you haven't changed them yet. And what I didn't know as a fifth grader, as I sat there in a new place with all these strange people and all these trees around me, was that God was pursuing me. I left this church as a senior in high school, and I went to Cedarville University, and God was pursuing me there, too. And I went on to Dallas Theological Seminary after a year working at OPEX Corporation, and God was pursuing me as I went there as well. I came back to New Jersey in 2012 with my wife, Kristen, uh, to help plan a church about 40 minutes from here. And God was pursuing me while I did that as well. And now here today, I get to stand up here and tell you all about the loving and faithful God that has pursued me all of my days. And it feels like one of those moments where you really get to take a measure of your life. Uh, Not necessarily a measuring moment for how far I've come, because let's be honest, I'm a 34-year-old young pastor who has more hair on my chin than I do on my head, and I'm still trying to figure out what it means to be faithful to the way of Jesus. Um, But it's a measuring stick moment because I can stand up here and say God has never stopped pursuing me, and He is infinitely more great and good and faithful than I could have ever imagined. And so it's moments like these that we as the people of God need to celebrate and cherish. And it's not just a moment for me, but it should be a moment for you as a church to celebrate as well. Not because I'm here, 
But you should celebrate that there is a long history in this place of people meeting and encountering the living God that pursues them. And their lives are still being transformed because Shawnee Baptist Church has attempted to be faithful in their presence and place here in Shemong, New Jersey, who are constantly trying to point people to Jesus. And guess what? God is going to continue to be faithful to you as well. Now maybe it should be a moment, if no one else hears anything else I say, um, knowing that some of you parents um, are probably wondering if God is going to be faithful to your kids, or some of you kids and students that are sitting up here thinking what in the world's going on with this weepy, bald man. Uh, uh, God will continue to pursue. He will not relent. He will be faithful to you, to your kids, to this church. You can bet the bank on it. And you know what's good about that, and as a reminder for us today before we get into our text, is that the God who pursues us is with us here today, present by His Holy Spirit because of the work of Jesus Christ completely in line with the plan of the Father in heaven who loves you and me. And that God longs for us, each of us, to meet with Him, to encounter Him, to be changed by His presence. And so let us take a minute before we pray, and before we get started to pray. Pray with me. Father in heaven, thank you that in spite of us, um, you are faithful, contingent on you and your character. I thank you that you love us more than we could ever imagine. And I pray as we look into your word today, we would see a clear image of the true word, Jesus Christ. And the beauty of Jesus would capture our, our affections and our hearts anew. And we would leave knowing that we have met with God. I pray this in the name of Jesus and by the Spirit. Amen. If you would, turn with me to the book of Ephesians. got through the hard part, so we're good to go now. We'll be taking a quick survey of the first three chapters of Ephesians, and as we look at this book of the Bible, I think it's imperative for us as Christians, and for that matter, any Christian church, to ask, be asking themselves a few questions, two in particular that I want to talk about today. The first is, what is the church? And second, why is it so important? What is the church, and why is it so important? These questions should seem simple enough, uh, but I wonder, how many of us 
could give a compelling answer. After all, it's clear that many of you feel it is important because you're sitting here today. Um, but let me be brutally honest for a moment with you. The re reason that the majority church in America and in the Western world has lost power and influence in our communities and in our neighborhoods is because they aren't very compelling anymore. The reason that our churches aren't compelling anymore is because we don't actually know what the church is and why it's so important in the first place. You see, we have begun to believe that the church is a place that we go to on Sundays and Wednesdays to worship God and be around people that believe the same things, that maybe look and sound and have the same amount of income as we do. And we do this all while hoping that maybe we can get some of our neighbors and friends and co-workers convinced that they should come to church with us. But here's the problem. This is not what the church is according to the Scriptures. And it misses out on the life-giving, purpose-reorienting, beautiful mess that makes the church so important in the world. And let me tell you, I love God's church. I don't love it because I've seen these incredibly beautiful and dynamic services and gatherings. I love it because 10 years ago I began to ask myself these two questions as I sat in seminary wondering if I should drop out because I'm not real sure that this church thing is all it's up, cracked up to be. And so today... I want to journey with you through the first three chapters of Ephesians. I promise it'll be quick. And we're going to look at three things. First, we're going to look at God's plan. Second, we're going to look at God's people. And third, we're going to look at God's purpose. They taught me how to do that in seminary. Three Ps, nice and easy for you to remember. And so, first, God's plan. If you know anything about the book of Ephesians, it's six chapters. We love these types of books because they're easy to handle. But the way that Paul works is he typically makes his argument up front and then uh, shows us the implications of those arguments on the back half of his books. And here's one of the reasons that the church isn't compelling anymore. Because the church has started to ask the questions what do we do or what do we need to do while forgetting all along who God is, what He's done, and who He's made us. And so what we've done is we've begun to tinker and create structures and systems and things that we think will do us well as the people of God. But what, why the, the outside world and even most of us that are sitting here aren't convinced of life in the church is because we've forgotten who God is, what He's done, and who He's made us. And so Paul, in his book of Ephesians, takes chapters 1, 2, and 3 to answer the question of who God is, what He's done, and who He's made you before He ever requires you to think about now how should you live. And so my goal is not for me to come in and say, this is what church should look like and this is what we should do. I simply want to take a moment while God meets with us through His Spirit to remind you, this is how great your God is. 
This is how much he has done for you. This is your new identity because Christ has won the victory and let you figure out what that means. And so let's look at chapter 1 of Ephesians and we are going to see simply that God has a plan. He always has, always will. Chapter 1, the beginning of it says, Before all of time, God set into motion these things. And typically for us, as we read this, we read this really great opening long sentence of chapter 1, and we, we talk about things like election and predestination and the eternity and always createdness of God. And we miss that God is showing His plan to us through His Word, and we need to get it right. You see, a lot of us are often asking this question of, what is God's plan for me? What does He want to do through us? What is God's plan for the church? But really, He's made it clear. And so I want to walk through the entire story of Scripture using hula hoops. I'm not going to hula hoop. But I want us to see the entire story of Scripture because in order to understand God's plan, or let me say this, in order to under, understand what the church is, we need to understand what God is doing with the church. And if we miss that, if we start to live out of the wrong story instead of the biblical story, this Sunday gathering and all the things that we are as the church don't make a ton of sense. And so look at Ephesians 1.10 with me. And we will see what God says. Here's what he says. As a plan for the fullness of time, this is what God wanted to do. To unite all things in Christ, things in heaven and things in earth. Alright. So God's plan is this. To bring heaven and earth together. And as we think about the true story, the biblical story, we start to see that that's the case all throughout the Scriptures. Remember, before all time and all place, before anything ever existed, God was. So we're going to use the green one as the space of God. The place where God dwells and lives and is eternally pleased with Himself. This is the space of God. And what God knew was that life with the eternal God, Father, Son, and Spirit, was so good and so full of joy and love and satisfaction and purpose that He wanted to share it with His creation. And so Genesis 1 and 2 tells us of what this looked like. It tells us of the day that God took His space and He created a human space and He brought them together and everything was very good. Think about that. All of, all of God's intention for the world was good, right, and true. Perfect. One of my favorite lines in Scripture was, God walked with Adam and Eve in the cool, cool of the day. God wants to be with us. But you see, the the story tells us that as God entered into the space of man and God's space and man's space were together, 
There is this tricky little snake that comes into the garden and begins to deceive the woman. And, she, and the deception looked like this. God's withholding something from you. You know better. He doesn't want you to be like Him. You would make just as good a God. And guess what? She believed it. Just like you and I believe it on a daily basis. And she took and she ate of the fruit that she ought not make. And guess what happened to the space where God and man dwelt? It was fractured. Because God, the holy and perfect God, cannot be where sin and death reign and rule. And so we see from Genesis 3 to 11 that this space issue begins to show more and more how terrible it is. We get to chapter 4 or 5, I can't remember specifically, in the story of Noah, and God looks down upon His creation that was made to bear His image, and He says, every thought of the human heart was wicked every time, all of the time. It was so depraved that God's space and His desire for people to have life with Him was fractured and people were hell-bent on going their own way. And so in Genesis 12, God comes up with a plan. He says, I'm going to pick a people, Abram and his descendants, and this people I am going to bless. I'm going to give them a land. I'm going to give him descendants as many as the stars. I'm going to make him prosperous. And I will be his God and they will be my people. And, and we miss this so often. And the point of God picking a people was to do this. So that they would be rich and prosperous and have the best land and stay to themselves. No, he says, I will bless you so that you will go into the world and be a blessing to all the nations. The idea was this, is God was going to begin to make a space for his people, Israel, to live in the world so that all the other people that did not care what God said or did, as they looked in on God's people, would say, I don't know what's going on there, but I want in on what's going on there because that God is the greatest God. And so God was trying through the temple, through the sacrifices, through His people to move back into the space of the world. So it would be like right in here, right? But it doesn't go very well. Because people are intent on going their own way, much like you and me. And so the Bible then moves us along through all these promises. I'm going a little bit quicker. You can, you can look at it on your own or talk to me afterwards. But ultimately, at the very end, after God's promises all throughout, it tells us, and Paul's referencing here, there was one man that showed up, and he was the true Israelite, the promised one to come. And his name was Jesus. And Jesus, God and man comes and lives the, the way that God had intended the world to be. And so Jesus brings God's space to man's space. And we see this because he does crazy things like heal the sick and raise the dead. And what's he doing? He's taking all the things that we know as our space and he's breaking God's space into it. And ultimately... What does he do? 
He takes God's space and he conquers all the powers of man's space through his death and his resurrection. And he says things like this. Repent and believe, for the kingdom of God is at hand now. And I wrestled with that for a long time. And here's what he's doing. Creation. God's space with man's space. God dwells with us. Sin, it breaks. Through Israel, trying to bring God's space back. Couldn't work. Brings Jesus to be both God and man to show us what God and man's space looks like. Then he releases Jesus to go back in and live in his victory. And what does he do? He sends his spirit to empower a group of people known as the church. And the church is going to be the means by which God brings heaven and earth together to declare the victory of Jesus to all people in all times and all places. Now we know, as you look around, you're like saying, like, well, Ryan... I've looked around. I've paid attention to my own church. I look at a lot of other churches. That, that plan doesn't seem to be going real great. And I'd say fair. Fair because Jesus has not fully brought us together because how does the Bible end? This beautiful scene of a city coming out of heaven and this declaration of what? Behold, I am making all things new. And this is what new is. In the end, God's space and our space will be one again. Praise be to God. Amen. Amen. And so God's plan, and we can't miss it, is to bring heaven and earth together in Christ through the church. This is God's plan. I think it's important for us to understand this. In all of that story of spaces, here's what we learned. These things are going to drive me nuts. One of my favorite writers, Chris Wright, in his book called The Mission of God, says it this way. Mission is not ours. Mission is God's. God is the pursuing, seeking, tracking down God. Certainly the mission of God is the prior reality of which flows any mission that we get involved in. Or as has been nicely put, it is not so much the case that God has a mission for His church. Catch this. God does not have a mission for His church. But God has a church for His mission in the world. Mission was not made for the church. The church was made for mission, God's mission. And what is God's mission? To bring heaven and earth together. And the thing is, we know this. You want to know how I know we know this? Because we love things like the Lord's Prayer where we sing, say, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy will be done, thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. This is the way that Jesus taught us to pray. And so for us, the, the, the plan of God for all time and continues to be here is that God through His church would unite a glimpse of God's space into the space of man. 
Well, by what means is he going to do that? So first, one, chapter 1, verse 10, we see God's plan. Now I'm going to make it easy on you. Chapter 2, verse 10, look at that with me. The means by which he is going to do that is by rescuing you and I into the work. We have this great section that most of you have probably memorized from Awana all the way on, and it, it gets all the way to where, where Paul is explaining how grace works, and he says in this refrain, the, the, chapter, the two verses before, for by grace you have been saved through faith. It's nothing that you do. Maybe just a reminder for you today, church, if, if you're here trying to appease an angry God, and you're exhausted from trying to prove that you were a good draft pick, uh, you, can, you can rest today. It had nothing to do with you in the first place. God loves you as much when you're a super Christian as he does when you're a super pagan because it was dependent on Jesus Christ all along. Amen. Amen. For by grace you have been saved. But then he says this. Look at 2.10. For we are his workmanship, his crafting, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And here's where we begin to miss it. You see, we're really, 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 really good at talking about what God saved us from. But if you're not paying attention in Ephesians, here's what Paul is actually doing. He's much less concerned with what God has saved you from, and he's far more concerned with God, what God has saved you for. You see, he's saying here, yes, God saved you by grace. Nothing that you did, nothing that you do, but before all of time, he created you unique. He gave you special gifts and abilities. He made you tick a certain way. He made you love certain things. And so when he saved you from sin, death, and hell, the powers of darkness, he saved you for bringing heaven and earth together as the church with your unique gifts and abilities. And so, so often what happens is we come into the church and we get rescued by Jesus, and I did this for many, many years. I sat in these pews and I thought to myself, I get it. I get that I need Jesus. But what difference does he make in my day to day? How does, how does he change the way that I think about my friendships? How does he change the way that I think about my work? How does he change the way that I play basketball on teams? I had no answers for that. I knew Jesus was good news for my eternal destiny. I had no clue how Jesus was good news for my everyday life. And I want you to see here that God's people, you all, are being saved from sin and death and hell, not so that you just sit together in a church and celebrate the God that did save you, but so that He fills you with His Spirit, uniquely brings you together, and releases you into the world to do the work He gave you to do. So if you build houses and you create homes for people to share, did you know 
that in building those houses, God is, is equally pleased as you drive those nails as he is with me right now preaching his scriptures. You know, if you work in the medical field and you, and you uh, help uh, diagnose and cure people, that is as equally meaningful and pleasing to God as you sitting here and listening to his word now. As you love your, wow, uh, your, your spouse or you raise your kids, that matters as much to God and is as pleasing and as important to God as what we're doing now. You see, God didn't save you so that we just sit in here. He saved you for a purpose. And that purpose is to draw us all together, allow for us to catch His Spirit-driven mission, and use the unique gifts that He gave us before all of time to accomplish his purpose in bringing heaven and earth together. I call it beautifying the earth. Anywhere where you see the curse, you have an opportunity to bring about the kingdom through the power of the Spirit. Friends, when I started to grasp that, my life changed. Because this matters. I'm not just talking about like the singing and the praying and stuff. You all, uh, maybe New Jersey way, you guys, <laughs> you matter to what God is doing here in Shemong, New Jersey. He loves you. He loves His church but He's not willing to just save you from your mess. He's saving you from your mess for His purposes, which you know well what they are. Let's look at 3.10 and see our third point. God's purpose. So we see God's plan for all time is to bring heaven and earth together. The means by which he is doing that is through the victory of Jesus by calling and saving people for the work of the ministry. What purpose does that serve? Look at 3.10. And this gets me jazzed. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. Holy cow. I, I want you to catch this. First, there's a Greek word in here, polypokilios. Uh, it's a hapax legomena, which is a very fancy way to say, this is the only time it's used in the New Testament. And this it means multiple, multicolored. So the word that we've translated in your ESVs as manifold is actually this idea, I'll try to give an image, of like a kaleidoscope. This overwhelming uh, array of colors and beauty of light. And what Paul is saying is 
that as the church in its unique ways and forms and giftings and abilities, as they are drawn together by the love of Jesus and empowered by the Spirit, God's incredible wisdom is put on display through all of you, not to the world, though that will happen, but to the powers of darkness that drive the world. Full stop. Listen, I know we're Americans, and I know that we believe that things we can see and experience and prove are real. But the Bible doesn't let us do that. God loves his church too much to allow for us to be deceived that what we can see and experience is really what's going on. Did you know that just as the Spirit of the living God is with us today trying to stir our hearts and affections up to love Jesus and love one another and love our neighborhood and, and, and live in the way of Jesus, there are powers of darkness that we do not see or acknowledge that are driving systems and structures and human uh, functions and people to wage war against us. And you all are the means by which God is putting them on notice. Let me tell you a story that maybe will help. In the 1936 Summer Olympics, they were held in Germany during the regime of Adolf Hitler. Maybe some of you have heard of him. And his plan to continue to assert his demonic plan of Aryan superiority, he banned all black athletes to not compete in the summer games. One of the athletes that was affected by this move was Jesse Owens. He was the United States elite track star. As pressure continued to mount from all these different nations, um, Germany, the host nation, and Adolf Hitler as their uh, tyrant ruler, rescinded their ban on people of color, and they were allowed to compete in the 1936 Summer Olympics. Some of the pieces of history have made a comment that Hitler wasn't too upset about this because he was down for proving that, in fact, the Aryan race was superior in every way. There's only one problem. Jesse Owens didn't get that memo. In one of the greatest displays of athleticism in Olympic history, Jesse Owens went on to win gold medals in the 100-meter, 200-meter, 4-by-100-meter, and the long jump. I can only imagine the devastation that fell across Hitler and many of his Nazi supporters' faces every time Jesse Owens stood on the gold medal podium. Not once, not twice, not three times, but four times they had to sit and watch as a black man that they believed was inferior to them stood above all other competitors. Four times, Jesse Owens 
put on display, not necessarily through his words, but through his actions, that the Nazi regime was built on a farce. And in the same way, we, as we gather together as the church, existing in the world, day after day, year after year, century after century, stand upon the victory pedestal of Jesus Christ, declaring to an evil regime that the victory has been won. That all the evil schemes and temporary charades of the powers and the forces of darkness are nothing but a facade. And that the true victory and the power has already been secured for you by Jesus Christ our Lord. And this is how it is and this is how it will forever be. And so God saves us so that as we gather and as we do the work of God's mission, all of the powers and the structures of uh, the way of the devil and his forces are made known. Your time is up. Jesus is king. And we got work to do. I want you to notice something. In these first three chapters, God's plan, His calling all of His people together and and giving them good work, and then His purpose. If you go back and read through that, here's something that is staggeringly beautiful. He is not asking you to do one thing. You know what that means? That means... By the mere creating power of the God of the universe, He has formed and empowered His church through His Spirit. And by His Spirit, no matter how awesome or how terrible you think you are, just by His Spirit living in you and gathering you and sending you, without you doing a thing, the powers that be are on notice. And this should make sense because this is exactly what God is like. Remember what Paul says later in 1 Corinthians, God chooses foolish things in the world to shame the wise. God chooses weak things in the world to shame the strong. God chooses lowly things in the world to, to be, uh, and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast. And this should make sense. After all, in order for God to bring about His plan, He picked Abram, who lied about his wife, and David, who was the smallest and weakest of his sons, and cheated on his wife. He picked Moses, who had a stutterer. And then Jesus comes along, and he picks 12 of the most uh, silly people to try to build the church with. And if we keep tracing that, he picked all of us too. And all of us are called up into this incredible story that should give us purpose and meaning and want us to wake up in the morning because you matter. 
What you do matters. But it doesn't matter based on how well you perform. It matters on the basis that Jesus has already done it for you, and you can rest in that. And so how do we, how do we end today? Well, chapter 3 finishes with my favorite prayer in the Scriptures. And this would be my prayer for you, Shawnee Baptist. Paul, knowing that God is going to accomplish His purposes by means of saving people from darkness and calling them into the marvelous kingdom of light, to put on display for the purpose of putting on display the powers that be, the victory of Jesus, then goes to this prayer. And here's what I want you to see. Once again, no action required. That gets in chapter 4, 5, 6. Paul is continuing to tell you, this is what God's done. This is who he is. This is who he's made you. And here's what I'd say. This is the thing that will drive you into life that makes the church important and begins to act in a way that brings heaven and earth. Look what he says. For this reason, because God is bringing heaven and earth together, he's saving people from, for a purpose, and that purpose is to put people on notice. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in His deep love, may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. <laughs> Man. You know what God wants Shawnee Baptist to know today? The depths of His love for you. He wants you to know that we're not just here to play church, to put in our two hours and then go do whatever we want with the rest of our lives. He wants us to encounter the living God and to be confronted by the overwhelming deep love He has for you and for me, His kids. I live by the beach. And the best image I can give you for, for the love of God is this. If you go to the beach in LBI, it's got a really gnarly beach break, right? And if you sit there, no matter how long you sit there, years, centuries, millennium, for as long as this world exists, those waves will keep crashing on that beach. That's what God's love's like. It's just going to keep coming. And here's why this is so important. Because God's love changes people like me. 
It makes me want to participate in his mission, to be a part of his victory, to put on blast the powers that think they're in charge and say, Jesus is king. Shawnee, God wants to use you to bring heaven and earth together. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your son, Jesus, who has won the victory. God, I pray for Shawnee Baptist Church that they would be captured by this beauty. God, it truly is um, good news. It's good news, God, that we don't have to prove ourselves to you because Jesus already has done it. And I pray that as we come to grips through the power of the Spirit, the overwhelming love of the Father for us, his kids, our hearts would begin to be drawn into your mission. I pray, God, that your kingdom would come in Shemong, New Jersey, on earth as it is in heaven, because there is a band of faithful followers of Jesus at Shawnee Baptist that believe that you are going to do that. Empower them with your spirit for the good works that you predestined before all of time. Inflame their hearts with holy vision. And fill them with the knowledge of your deep love. Pray this in the name of Jesus and by the spirit. Amen.